summer 2013, I worked on a 12-week or so project with a big healthcare company. While I was there, one of my buds was this woman named Nikita. She's since lived in a bunch of different places, and I have too, but we stayed connected digitally and taped this episode about 1.5 or 2 weeks ago. It's primarily about raising kids, the flaws and diversity and inclusion arguments, trying to determine what is and is not important as you move through your 20s, 30s, and 40s. All right, let's get to it. Funny thing, I was telling my mom, you know, why my, uh, she's 15 now, but then 14 year old daughter didn't have a cell phone, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like, well, what about if there's an emergency and she needs you? And I'm like, well, where is she going? Because she goes to school. If there's something after school, like band or something, she calls from there. I said, if she's going to the mall with friends, yeah, she's got access to one, but why else would she need it? And my mom's like, well, you know, it's a bad world out there. You know, things are bad. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's no worse than it was when I was growing up. Like, there's still pedophiles. You still don't take candy from strangers. <laughs> right? I'm like, the fear that you have, mom, is that you're hearing about it from places you never would have 20 right. years ago. Right. That's what makes it seem um, like prevalent. I'm like, but the shit is still bad out there. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's 100% true. And it's like, okay, so I read... Um, I read some like psychology of panic, psychology of fear stuff the other day, right? Just because I think that stuff is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so. so in the background too, so if you hear me. <laughs> oh, you're good. So like, uh, I, I think some of the panic stuff is just people feel like this has been proven in like studies and crap. When people feel like the situation they're in is really dramatic. Like they're getting it from all sides. They feel like the response has to be dramatic. And you see that in work situations all the time too, right? When it's like a, when it's like an all hands on deck thing, everybody feels like, Oh man, I have to do something dramatic or state something dramatic. So like at work, it might be, you know, whatever outcome. And then in like personal context, people are like, I'm going to buy all this toilet paper. And it's right. like, okay, you're not, you're not helping anybody right in this moment, but you feel like, oh, I did something dramatic in response to the drama that I'm feeling. And that's where I feel like people get misguided. And again, those platforms don't help because it's like all you're seeing, all you're hearing about. So you're kind of like, well, I got to step up and do something for my family, right? And it's like, eh, yeah, but there's also like, you're, you I, live in a, in a in all honesty, In all honesty, so I was talking to my husband about it. At what point in time is it just the pussification of America? Like, we're right. not hard asses anymore, you know? Right. right, that's true too, man. That's 100% true. And it's like the easiest... Um, the easiest way to like, or the argument people always make on that front is like, Oh, uh, the younger generations up through like, I mean, really boomers too. Like nobody's really been in a world war. Like some boomers were in Vietnam or whatever, but it's like, Oh, we haven't, 
really fought some real shit or done some real significant shit. That's what, that's like kind of the generic argument everybody makes. And that top of that, like people's lives for the most part have been fluff, right? right, You, You didn't have to go stand in line for government cheese. Not that I did, but you know, I think my mom's generation, right? Like you didn't have to stand in line for that. You didn't go days without a solid, you know, meal with meat, vegetables and a starch. Maybe you just had vegetables. Like, People have not had to struggle in a long time. Yep, 100%. And I agree, like, look, there is, in in a lot of industries and stuff, there is wage stagnation and, like, wages don't keep up with goods and services for most people. But broad level actual suffering is like, no, we ain't, we ain't experienced no, that for a long right, time. Right, exactly. <laughs> Anytime you're homeless or you know, you're without food. And granted, I don't necessarily call it the best recourse of action, but anytime you've got those situations and you can walk to a shelter or you can get an EBT card, mm-hmm. that's not really struggling. Like, no, that's not. You may not be doing as good as the next person, but you, you've got access to some stuff. Man, I was telling somebody this the other day too, like I've never been homeless or anything, so I don't have that level of struggle by any means nor could i like fully envision it but like i actually think getting kicked in the mouth slash genitals whatever is actually good for people contextually because like i had one in i want to say like september 2017 like on a friday afternoon i had like nine dollars in checking right and it's like Man, like, okay, I have, like, a 401k from, like, one job, and I could have, like, pulled off of that if I really wanted to, and I had savings and shit, but, like, I was like, man, how am I going to get through an entire weekend on $9? You can't even go to an ATM on $9, right? You can't even, it it used to be, you used to be able to withdraw five, so those people that, right, those people that are probably, what, 40 and over remember that, but... No, you can't even withdraw five anymore. <laughs> right. So I was just kind of like, okay, those moments, though, like, that's kind of like the white collar, uh, first world version of, like, you go through that type of crap, and it's it's nothing close to the world and what they deal with, right? So, uh, but it helps you, I think, just, like, to your point, like, there's certain moments where it's like, man, I got to stop being a pussy about some of this stuff, or I got to figure out like pathways just to like semi recurring income that like maybe I hadn't considered before or whatever, like put aside your elitism on certain shit that like the sheer reality of the world sometimes too, that people are definitely America that people don't always grasp is like, not everybody is going to, be a data analyst at Amazon or whatever, right? Like there are a lot of types of jobs in the world and like, sure, you might land at some high growth company, some big brand name company, but like drive to any airport in the US and there's a million like shitty small businesses dotting the landscape as you're going to the airport and like all those places employ like three to 10 to 50 people it's like not everybody works at Google, right? right. So like right. sometimes you just need to nut up and be like, okay, well, this is reality. Like I gotta 
like do the best I can for myself and the people that I care about or, or whatever. But it's like, it's the way we kind of talk about the career side of it is so flawed in my opinion, because it gives this like conveyance that if you're not like sales director at Honeywell or something like you're, you're like a failure. And that's yeah. not conceptually yeah. true at all, you know? No, absolutely. And it's absolutely funny because I remember at one point in my career, I wanted to be like a CHRO, right? Like, ooh, I want to be that top person. Right. Like, seriously, if I get one promotion, maybe two, I'm good. Like, I want to be able to balance my life and spend time with my kids and just chill out. Like, I yep. do not want that head title. And I'm not sure what people's – I mean, if you're single, no kids – I think that's a different story because you literally don't have anything, <laughs> right? Like some people are dog folks and stuff like that. But when you like actually have kids, you, you realize like life is not all about this, this knit grit climb to get to the top. And there's so much yeah. many other things that are like so important. I mean, yep. even like if you spend time with your parents, right. Or your brother and sister, like, I guess living in Hawaii as well kind of brought that realization to me because it slowed me down a ton and really made me put back to like what's important and why. Yeah, I agree with that. And I honestly think, man, there's an argument to be made. Um, definitely if you have kids, which imbues, I guess is the word, like a probably a deeper sense of like living beyond yourself and purpose and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I just think like almost in any context, you have to get to a point like late twenties, early thirties, although some people never get to it where you're just kind of like, man, so much of work is just like fake adulthood or like playing at being an adult. Right. It's like, there's some stuff you do. That's like, like an important project that impacts a bunch of people or impacts a bunch of people you consider like trusted colleagues or you know there are things you'll work on that are relevant but there's like so much crap you do in a job where it's like i'm basically just like pushing stuff from a to b because it's like what adults do right and yeah exactly like, that's what that's what you do when you're at the office it, you, it's a bunch of facetime and a lot of nothing <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and now i've seen stuff like there was some kind of like time i think it was some like time management suite or app or something and microsoft eventually bought them this is probably about three years ago and their founder wrote some article for like harvard business review and like i'm i generally like that harvard business review crap but like some of it recently has been awful but this guy wrote something and he was like before they got acquired they were working with like I want to say 15,000 companies and I'll find the article too and I'll post it at some point. But like across these 15,000 companies, they were like having people analyze their time and this is all white collar stuff, right? right? And it was like seven out of every 10 activities that most people were doing, especially above like a mid range level, they had no real value. <laughs> like you go to this meeting that's why i absolutely love my job now and i love the working from home aspect like you know the company i work for higher view uh selfish yeah 
right? Like they, they hire good people. They trust you to do your work. And if you don't, then you aren't for our company. But like, I make my own schedule. I get up, I work out, I come home, I sit in my sauna for an hour, right? Like I bust out my work. I might go ahead and cook some dinner on a conference call. I might decide to clean up and just walk away from it and be like, look, I cannot do it anymore. Um, you know, with this whole COVID thing, my boss and I had a one-to-one and I was just like, look, I know we got a one-to-one coming up. I said, but my kids are running around like animals in the zoo. And I'm like, I just need to kind of, and he's like, good. No, we'll cancel it. We'll move it. And I'm like, sweet. Because you know, you're going to be held responsible for the work you do, not the time you put in. Right. So, yeah. This yep. whole like going to work and just sitting there. I remember just being like, what the heck? Like, seriously, is this what I wanted to be grown up for? Like to do right. this all day long. Like, right. and there's really I'm probably productive half of my day, you know, in an yep. office. In an office. I would say, like, honestly, I always thought it was, like, three-eighths, so, like, less than half. It's, like, if I'm there, like, eight, nine hours, it's, like, maximum four hours, you know? Yeah. Um, I will say as a, as a um, semi, I guess it's an inverse shameless plug, uh, in 2018, I was going to a bunch of those, like, HR tech, uh, work technology conferences. I probably went to like 12 that year. Mm-hmm. And HireVue like consistently had like some of the best booth deals and like nicest people at those things, man. And I was always, no, I was always like, okay, because HireVue, it seems like it's generally doing pretty well but you know they're not a company that can afford like a 50 by 50 booth so they never have like a massive booth but it's like good size booth and like the people were always nice and the thing there was like higher view in one other place that i'm forgetting now i think it's based in atlanta but like those were the two booths where like if you went to them and you clearly weren't a lead, like I'm not going to buy software, but like, I just wanted to talk to people about trends and crap. Cause like normally I was there doing articles or content or whatever for people. Mm-hmm. If yeah. you're not a lead, they're not going to jam the lead process down your throat. And there are so many companies that don't understand that. Like I would get to a booth and I'd be like, hey, I'm more here doing like articles and helping people with like wrap ups and trend stuff. And they'd still treat you like you're going to buy the software. Right. And absolutely. And higher view people, I always thought it was kind of quote unquote woke in the sense of them. They would be like, OK, well, let's help you out with that as opposed to, you know, trying to sell you because I'm not in a position to buy it. I don't own some company or run some division right so um yeah Yeah, like that's the thing about hire view that i absolutely love is like you know we we really have like an entrepreneurial spirit you know and even being as kind of large but small as we are um we live by that right so you get to cater to like the voice of the customer like hey you're not interested in how it's going to improve your hiring process or cut off time for your recruiters to where they're not dialing people and leaving messages and, you know, back and forth. You're interested more in like, what's the trend? What's, you know, how, what's the feedback that candidates feel about hire view, all that, you know, all that stuff. Yep. Um, so yeah, we absolutely have those conversations. 
Um, okay, so one thing I was gonna ask, kind of like, uh, I guess more broadly, and you don't have to have some other worldly answer for this because I'm kind of like putting you on the spot with it. But what? Um, okay, so give me some stuff like, I guess we overlapped like uh, maybe last like seven, eight years ago. And yeah, I was, you, already, yeah. you already had a you already had one kid at least then. A lot mm-hmm. of people answer this in the context of kids, but like last seven to ten years, let's say, like what are some things that like as you've uh, become more of an adult, like grown into yourself? Are there like any bigger kind of like realizations or buckets that you feel like? you've had or embraced that like maybe you didn't see coming or like stuff that got stronger in you just like as you got older is there anything that like really jumped off the page to you that you were like uh thinking about your own life yeah so i will say um so everyone well not everyone but some people talk about this kind of business maturity right Mm -hmm. and not in the scope of like a life cycle of a company but in like the life cycle of yourself so you know, I, like you said, about 10 years ago, I had one child um, and I was always, you know, raised to respect your elders, that type of thing. But as I moved along and moved up in the corporate world and different positions, like I gained this voice of like, no, right? Like, I don't care what your position is. I'm not going to do certain things, right? Like, and that might be Hey, Nikita, we've got this going on. Can you do it? Uh, No, my daughter has a soccer game or a dance. Like I'm not missing certain things. Right. So I would say just my confidence and ability to push back and be like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And you do it respectfully. Right. But before I used to take on so much and I would not realize how bad my attitude was to family members, even to my own child, because I was so damn stressed out for saying yes all the time. Yeah. So let me ask you like the, um, I don't know if it's obvious, but kind of like the, the offshoot of it is like, do you think that that is harder, easier or indifferent being like a African-American female in a, I don't know the higher view breakdown and other companies, but like business is getting better, but it's still mostly run by like middle-aged white dudes. Yeah, so you, gray beards, as they, as they call them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. do you feel like what, okay, so what's, yeah, what's your context around that? Yeah. And I think I speak for a lot of us African-American women until we hit that certain peak, like, it's the majority of us that won't say no, right? Number one, there's probably few of us in the organization, specifically in that particular department, right? Whether that's legal, whether that's HR, whether that's finance, you know, they kind of, and it's fortunate, but they still kind of pepper us, right? They kind of sprinkle us. (laughs) You won't see a whole lot of us, um, in my opinion, in one specific area. Um, so yeah, it's harder to say no because of the simple fact that you don't want to seem like, you know, not the team player. And we're as a black female, you're already kind of labeled this angry black woman for some freaking crazy reason. Um, so you don't want to, you know, 
oh, well, what if they take it the wrong way? Or, you know, what if this, or what if I lose my job? Or what if they set me up, right? Because I said no, and they don't like the answer. But again, if you start talking to like some of my peer professionals and even friends that are my age, once you hit like 40, 42, you just get to this fuck it stage. And you're like, look, I've worked my career. I know my value. I know my worth. I'm not getting ready to be your whole, you know, your, yeah, it just, it comes a point in time when you're like, yeah, <laughs> enough is Yeah, all. 100%. Have you ever heard of 20, 40, 60? It's like uh, uh, Shirley MacLaine was big into it. And mm-hmm. a like uh, tech, like big tech dudes are into it now. It's just like some life philosophy. So basically it's kind of like, at 20, you're super self-centered and you think like everything's about you and like all narratives run through you. And then like you kind of evolve and by 40, especially professionally, you're kind of like, man, oh, I, know, yeah. Yeah, I know my value. And like if these people, you know, can and cannot acknowledge it, I'm just going to get my shit done. And if my kids are running around and I'm supposed to have a one-on-one, I'm going to move the one-on-one. And that's like, that's in that mindset. Mm-hmm. And then by 60, like whether or not you're still working a standard W2 or whatever, you're just like, fuck all this shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm going to focus, I'm going to focus on like the actual thing that the quality of my life, you know, it's like, yeah. I remember I, uh, um, I, uh, <laughs> I like probably three, four years ago, I was in San Diego for this wedding and I got this nasty sunburn because I was reading this article and it was a super long article. I was on the beach and I was reading this article about hospice nurses, right? And it was like 20,000 word article. So I got burned to shit because I was just lying there reading it. But <laughs> The interesting part of the article was, like, all these hospice nurses were saying, like, man, nobody is in hospice asking for, like, more work, more projects, more spreadsheets. They're like, yo, I just want to be around, like, loved ones and, like, do the best I can and contextualize it, right? And then you think, like, you think, like, you there are a million work situations in all of our brains where it's, like, you just think about how there was like all this panic about shit. All these reply, all emails are like flying around and you're like, man, none of this really mattered <laughs> like in the moment or long term. Right. Cause it's like a lot of those uh, Chinese fire drills at work, like a week later, no one remembers them. Right. But in the moment it feels like, man, this is so important, but it's not. Yeah. That's been like the thing is like, hold on, who's dying or what's on fire? Because if it's not, then we can stop and think about it. Like, I'm not just getting ready to pull the plug like I used to anymore. Because, and I think it's because I'm so against rework now. Like, you want me to what? Hold on, hold on. Ask me for something. I don't, I rarely, rarely, rarely deliver rough drafts, right? Like, put your all into it, get it right the first time. But huh, you want me to do cool. rework? Like, no, I'm not reworking stuff. You can go ahead and change that yourself. <laughs> right, right. No, I agree with that, man. I, I, right the first time, right? Like, save the pain and suffering 
Um, yeah. And the thing is, it's like, I remember, I'll never forget, I had a manager, um, phenomenal, I won't mention his name, but phenomenal manager. And he's like, Nikita, you know what your problem is? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, what is <laughs> Here it? Here we go. Here we right? go. Yeah. And he's, it was super awesome. He's like, you do things the first time people ask for it. And I'm like, huh? He's huh? like, you never do, like, he's talking about like a, um, a VP or, you know, a senior VP, anything like that. He's like, the first time they ask for it, that shit is literally just an idea talking about. Yep. He goes, don't even start anything until they ask for it the second time. That's when you start it. The third time is when you tell them when you'll deliver it. He yep. goes, but most of the time, the first time they ask for it, that's just a random fucking thought. Yep. <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't like how, I don't like how he came in on that conversation, but the content of that conversation is actually not that far off. Well, I think, you know? it, I think it would have been different had you been there, right? Because it was right, just like, right. it was lighthearted, you know, super yeah. lighthearted conversation. I'm like, oh, okay, so what, what's my problem? But yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I got this, uh, I was on this one contract, right, about a year ago, and it was, uh, this uh outsourcing like call center company and they were based in eastern europe right so first of all eastern europe is a different business context than the u.s they're still like revenue profit focused but it's a little bit different and they're like generally better with uh, work-life balance but they also have more context for loyalty right than the u.s typically does so you had these guys that were running call centers and they stayed around for like 15 years. And so the executives made them executives. Right. But running a call center is like almost a hundred percent cost containment and like process. Right. So then these guys were becoming like CIOs, CMOs, CHROs, and they had no, fucking idea what the line of business they were taking over was because all they understood was running a, a outsourcing center right okay. so i was dealing with this like sales and marketing guy and he didn't know anything about sales and marketing but you know like he had been loyal to the company and the founders so he got that and that's perfectly fine with me right so this guy used to send us like literally 15 new ideas a day and i give him credit for that because that's not bad and i was working with this dude on the team that we were on and we were all remote but like every one of those 15 ideas he would try to get started on and it was the same shit that your boss said to you is eventually i was like eventually i was like um hey the 15 ideas are just thoughts. It's like, wait till he mentions one of those the third time. And right. that's, when, that's when it's like, okay, yeah. now we need to talk about delivery, right? Exactly. But let's say we got 75 new concepts or projects from him a week. Like maybe four of those 75 would advance to the next week, right? Mm -hmm. So there's 71 things that you can either go start scrambling on or you can be like these aren't going to be relevant in seven days <laughs> so let's just wait for what's important apparently right exactly. uh, exactly. and, then, and that's where those conversations like okay so let me make sure i got this clear you want me to a b and c and sometimes i'll be like nah nah not yet okay just let me throw that out the way air then <laughs> 
Let me sit back and chill since we don't really know what we want to do. Um, on the rework thing that you said too, I thought that's a good point because one thing that always infuriated me about different full-time or contract stuff is like sometimes you you send somebody something and they're like, man, this is 92% of the, uh, the way there. It's good. Yeah. And then they're like, really? Yeah, it's like, but then they're like, hey, could you make, could you make these couple changes? And I'm like, motherfucker, it's a shared document. Do you not have hands? Like, you can do it. I typed up the message to ask me to change it. You could have just done so. Right. You could have just done it yourself, you know, and you're like, okay, well, sure. So now we're going to waste a total of 45 minutes by you telling me what to do, me doing it, you reviewing that again. It's like you could have just done it yourself and logged off this out. That goes back to that whole like fake adulting. I think there's like a powerism that people like to feel like, you know. They're over someone that, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to tell you what. Well, why not do it? Like, you literally had it for 10 minutes. You could have made the edits while you were reading it. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) man. And it's like what they always hide behind behind is like, well, I'm giving you agency. Like, I'm telling you, you know, this is how I would have done it. So, like, it's collaborative learning. And it's like, no, it's just unproductive, man. Like, I'm not really gaining in this moment as much as we're both losing 45 minutes of productivity, right? I don't know. I was, I've always thought that. Well, and again, I think people need to understand, like, there's a certain voice in which context is written, written right? So. Right. When people start changing with that, for me personally, I'm like, okay, you've changed the entire voice. And I wasn't trying to come from it from your understanding. This is going to a broader audience maybe, right? So I don't know. That's, again, where I've learned to push back and be like, look, I understand your changes, but this message is not to you directly. It's to other people, and they need to understand what that is. And I think you changing some stuff kind of waters it down. So, yeah. Um, there's a, there's a study out of Northwestern like three, four years ago that, um, constantly attempting to revise something in like over 80% of cases, it makes it less impactful for the the intended audience, you know, um, times, um, like I won't even share things with people anymore. I'm like, boop, here it is. (laughs) If you, I mean, if it's something that needs to be shared holistically you can make your own changes but if it's something that i'm using and you might want to use you make your own changes mine is good like yeah the more input you have the more of a hot mess certain things just become because again those several people with their different thought processes and inputs so then how far how far do you conceptualize us being on like diversity uh, like broader diversity, but also within the gender sex concept. Uh, like, I'm sure higher view is probably better than most, like better than the overall market. But like, how far do you think we are? And what do you think we could actually do to kind of like get closer? Yeah, so I mean, I'll be honest with you, living in Hawaii kind of reset my eyes, right? 
Okay. When I got back to the mainland, I was like, holy shit, there's nothing but white people everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You just have like a completely different view. Um, And I'll be honest with you, like people are pushing all diversity in sea level, diversity in, you know, a board of directors. While I love women and I cheer for women, white women to me is not diversity. I'm sorry. It just is. It's not. Um, So as an African-American woman who can probably speak for African-American women and other brown women, including Polynesian, Asian, et cetera, et cetera, um, that needs to change. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And what really kind of gets me even more I wouldn't even say frustrated, but more sad and sullen is LinkedIn. Oh, God. (laughs) You see people getting promoted to these senior VPs and they're white boys. And I don't even say white men anymore. I say white boys because they're young. You know, that's what they are. And I'm like, okay, in between the white boys, you'll see a white girl. And she's typically beautiful. Right. Um, So there's even that whole diversity issue. And of course, you can't really say like, oh, well, then what's beauty? You know your standard of beauty, right? Right. Like America has a standard. So come on, let's not be ignorant about that. Right. It's it's semi-universal or at least American. Exactly. It's very European, if anything. Yes. Um, But yeah, I'm super, super just, you know, I even told my husband like, hey, let's move to Bali. Let's go back to like. I got to be around some people of color where I I can understand, like, this is just one particular nation in a world of nations. Right. Um, And I don't know. I'd like to think it's slowly getting better. But damn it. How long does it have to take? (laughs) Well, there's like there's so many networks that are like entrenched to preserve it, too, like from LinkedIn being like a digital form. But then just like how. Um, here you'll probably you'll you might find this funny as like, I was doing some consulting thing for some like marketing ad agency about two years ago and we had a learning company come in right uh, like an LMS mm-hmm. and they were like trying to get more market share or some shit and no no one's ever really heard of them even to this day so I don't think they were very successful <laughs> but like uh this one guy kept saying, like, okay, I want to democratize learning, right? And we, a lot of people on the team I was on, they were, like, trying to get paid and upsell the contract. So they were, like, nodding uh, furiously, and they're like, yeah, 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 we'll go with that, right? So in one meeting, I was like, here's the problem. It's like the guys that run companies, okay, they and the middle ranks they don't want to democratize learning because like the core piece of knowledge that they have in their email or their folders that's the only shit that keeps them relevant right and like those are the types of guys that promote other white guys that look like them or have a similar background to them because like in their mind keeping people like that close to the core is like boosting their relevance or their uh, importance to that organization or to like business as a whole, right? And like the sheer fact is, man, it's it's different. 
uh, I would even say it's different contextually across races at some level, but like you get these, this is going to sound like very unwoke, but I think it's true. You get these white boys and they marry these like white girls, like in the Tiffany Ashley variety. Right. <laughs> and like, all those, honestly, like I see this all the time. All those girls want is to like be a mom, okay? Yeah. Which is a completely that's a completely natural biological urge. I would I'm not shitting on that, but then it's like what happens is is like the Tiffany girl has like two or three kids, and like those kids are more important than the white boy back at the office, right? Yeah. So like yeah. now the only relevance that this brad or chad or whatever has is that he's in control of this one pocket of one organization right that's it because yeah. it's like it like honestly like man he his sex life's probably declined his wife's probably more into his kids he's still not the big boss back at headquarters but he controls this one pocket of stuff right and yeah. like no those he guys calls shots he calls yeah. shots those guys do not want to democratize learning, man, because that them uh, hoarding that knowledge keeps them relevant, right? And so, like, anyway, I said that in that meeting, and these guys were like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, dude, these guys are like 29, 30 at the time, and you could tell they were, like, hustler-type people. Like, they probably worship, like, Bezos and, like, Elon Musk and shit. And I was like, this same shit is going to happen to both of you. You're going to be 45 and turn around and be like, oh, shit, we became that guy. Where it's like you got two kids and you control one small pocket of wherever you work. And that's all you care about because it's the only thing that keeps you feeling like, oh, there's a bigger purpose to all this. Right. Yeah. And like, at that moment, you will not want to democratize learning. You will want to keep learning where you have control of aspects of it, right? So I just think it's funny. Like, people don't have those conversations openly, but that is true about a lot of the guys at work. And probably more so in the white guy bucket that we're talking about presently, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's, it's super funny because, like, you know, so many organizations are on this DNI equality and inclusion and I'm like it's a bunch of bullshit you know I, I'm telling my 15 year old daughter I'm like I need you to look up the definition of equality right, right. and she reads it off and I'm like no one's fucking equal in this world right no you can't be I said so what do you want to do do you want to push equality if that's the case equality is essentially like me being able to have the same thing with regardless of the circumstances, right? So I should be able to have Steve Jobs position, regardless of if I can code, regardless of if I know anything about any, give me that role and pay me as such, right? No, what we aim for is fairness, right? So first let's get our verbiage, let's get our verbiage correct, right? Yep. It's not about equality, it's about fairness. Yep. What does that fairness equate to? No, fairness does not equal to Brad then having his, his successor be Jeff, right. who's got the same <laughs> right. and who's and Jeff's successor, he's already lined up. Uh, I don't know, Brandon, right? So right. Come on, right. Like, let's then let first let's get our verbiage right. Right. 
then let's start attacking these issues. I would, you know, Uh, I would say like one thing that flips me on HR stuff sometimes is that the people will introduce vocabulary that further clouds the picture, even though, even though on face, it seems like a good idea. Like one of the big things that saw this year, early, like late 2019, you had a bunch of big, Fortune 500 HR departments coming up with this belonging stuff, right? And like belonging is no doubt important. As human beings, we want to belong. But it clouds the picture because you're not defining it properly. And like for better or worse, you can't put that stuff on a balance sheet or a report. Like diversity, you can at least report on and be like, okay, we're being shitty about this in the definition of diversity, even if that's Same misguided. Same thing with inclusion, right. right? Just because we're a diverse company doesn't mean we include you black no. folks. No, no, <laughs> you have them, but they're not being included. Exactly. Right? It's the same thing where, like, yeah, if you're not Jeff or Brad or Trevor or whatever, you're there and you're drawing a salary, but you're not necessarily being included, right? So the words are different in that regard. Well, and I think Um, that's why so so many black people, you know, choose to leave certain organizations at a particular time, like, yeah, you hired me, but I'm, I'm kind of like acting as your token black person. I'm not really included. I'm not really accepted. You know, you kind of have to just deal. So. A diversity speaker. I think he's based in like DC, like kind of like uh, ripped 50 something black dude. Uh, he's pretty cool. Like I've seen him at like maybe two events and I like went out with him one night after some event. He's a cool dude, but like, um, one thing he said to me that I always thought was good was he was like, if you want to ever know how much like the SVP level and above uh, cares about DNI stuff, just like go look at their calendar for a given month and see where they spend their energy and their effort, right? And it's not usually DNI meetings or DNI conferences or dni planning you know it's almost never that stuff right and he's like so it's kind of like lip service or double talk a lot of times which i think most people inherently realize but it's like when you see like a svp or coo's calendar or whatever and you're like oh yeah uh that's uh sadly accurate so that was kind of like that was one of the, uh, that was one of the better ways to conceptualize it I had ever thought about or heard about. No, that makes lots of sense, right? So it's essentially putting your money where your mouth is, right? right. Like you talk the game, but are you reaching out to number one, like educate yourself on African Americans and Blacks as a whole, like mm-hmm. our struggle, and there's so many people that. You know, my husband's white. Like, there's so many people who have naturally learned just because of where they grew up or where they went to school or just a concerted effort to do that. But how many companies actually do that, right? Like, I remember, you know, taking this diversity class at Allstate. This was many, many moons ago when I actually worked in a call center as a call center rep. Mm -hmm. Um, We took a diversity class. 
And the diversity lady, forget her name, but she was a white lady. She mentioned, she was like, how many of you white people in the room actually know that black people have a different bass and tone in their voice? And they're not screaming and yelling. They're not angry. Like, it's statistically and medically proven. It's just different. Just like you'll have, like, you know, Asians have a higher tone. That's just cultural, whether they're, you know, whether they're raised that way and you kind of accustomized to that because of, you know, what you're exposed to. But when you talk about um, differences in people, there are things like that that people have no clue about. So, yeah, I mean, when you talk about a leader's calendar, it's like, yeah, how much time and effort is on your calendar to to really, you know, preach what you're talking about? Yeah, I've been in uh, I've been in Texas like five probably five six years and like there are parts of it that i like but a lot of stuff culturally is like pretty stupid or myopic right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um i had only like last two years i started going to church more okay. frequently and i don't think i saw I you stop drinking too congrats on that oh uh, yeah both of them are positive right now <laughs> but uh I don't even, you know, I don't think going to church makes you like religious or spiritual. For some people, it's like checking a box, but I try to get stuff out of it. Um, So anyway, through that church, I was going to this men's group. So it's a men's group in Texas. You got a lot of like conservative bullshit ways of thinking, right? Mm -hmm. So I just remember one time at this men's group, I was at a table and somebody started trying to move it to politics. And I think we over politicize stuff all the time now anyway. But like there were legit dudes at this table. And I don't know if they got this from their grandparents and they just haven't examined their own biases and all that. But they're saying stuff like, oh, man, like you got to keep you got to keep Trump around because if you don't like we, we got all these like Mexicans are going to take jobs and like blacks are going to commit crime. And I'm like, Holy shit. Like where do these belief structures come from and how do they persist for like four plus generations? Right. It's actually like an interesting question where like, you think we're so evolved as a society and we have like all this like medicine stuff. We're not using leeches to cure people and we have all this technology, but like we still have guys like sitting at church functions being like, man, blacks commit crime and Mexicans take jobs. And it's like, how do these attitudes last so long? I guess it's just that like the cultural stuff you get from the people around you like is so much harder for people to break than uh, well, that's what's led to like so many people turning away from religion in general not even just right. christianity right because you're like well hold up you got supposedly you're supposed to be praising a man that spoke about love and acceptance and that's the last thing you're doing is right. loving and accepting people right like the old the old testament got a lot of like vengeance and hostility but like the new testament pretty much is about like love and forgiveness best i can understand right exactly it feels like we're all missing the point when we like put people into boxes or stereotype them because that's not really love or acceptance well and i mean i remember talking to you know live locally here in virginia i was talking to a white lady around the neighborhood and i was like 
you need to get yourself some black friends. And I <laughs> challenge even my black friends to like get themselves some white friends. Like yep. you like your viewpoint is so jaded. And I understand that may have been all you've ever been exposed to. But in today's age, ignorance is no excuse for me. Like it's just not. Right. And on top of that, everybody pretty much knows the media is run by six corporations. So yep. you don't even trust your media. Right. Like right. get out there, go to a bar and start talking to some black folks, yep. start talking to some white folks, start talking to some Mexicans. Yeah. You know, it's like you'll find out that they're not different than you at all. <laughs> and if they are, it's very little differences. Right. Like they really just want to take care of their family, probably mind their business. And keep it moving. Yep, a hundred percent. And I, I said I was at some, I was at some like camping weekend or whatever. This is a real, uh, this is a real small media story in the grand scheme of everything. But probably like June, last June, there was this like California congresswoman, and she was getting divorced, and her husband leaked like some threesome stuff that they had, and all these, uh, um, all these, like, she was, I think she was a Democrat. So all these Republicans are like, you got, she's not moral. She's not virtuous. She got to resign. And all these Democrats were like kind of fumbling around on the defense. And then you have like the fourth wave feminism side is kind of like, we can't judge women. Men are the problem. So you had all these hot takes all over the place. Right. So like on that, when that was happening, I was like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read like a far conservative thing and a far liberal thing. And then the next time I go to a bar, I'm going to talk to like a black dude, a Mexican dude, like a European immigrant, like a factory worker about this shit just to see what the actual perspectives are. Right. Right. And. Like, legit, first of all, you go on a far right-wing thing, and it's like, this chick is a whore. She's got to be out of Congress. You go on a far left thing, and they're like, man, who cares what people are doing behind closed doors? Like, it's if she can still serve for her constituents, whatever, fine. So then I go to, uh, I go to this, like, kind of crappy bar legitimately near train tracks that's, like, mostly minority. So I go there. And I'm just like shooting the shit about current events. And this comes up and I'm with a white friend of mine and like legit, there's some black dude that works for uh, like a hospital doing like maintenance or whatever. And I don't give a shit about any of that. <laughs> He's like these media narratives. It's like, I always find it cool that like, it's only, this might be an overgeneralization, but it's only like white people of like a middle income range that get so fucking caught up in this stuff, right? Like all these media takes and like screaming at each other on Twitter or whatever. Like most people that are out there trying to do right for their family and like provide income and like enjoy their kids if they have them, whatever, like they don't care as much about all this like media driven stuff. I've always found that interesting, you know? Yeah, it's a different, um, it's a very interesting and different dynamic because even the people that you see like getting butt hurt over some of the politics <laughs> are, were like, you know, they're, they're white middle agers. And I'm like, what, what's, what are you so mad about? Um, 
I was on, I think Instagram not too long ago and someone had put on there that, you know, white people were getting upset because black people weren't taking the coronavirus seriously. And I'm like, if you've ever lived or lived in a black person's shoes or went through, like the coronavirus ain't shit right now. <laughs> like if we take it seriously, but we find humor in things because we've had to, right? Like you, if you don't laugh, you'll cry type of thing. And I think people take life way too seriously sometimes. Absolutely. You gotta Absolutely. sit back and laugh at this thing because at the end of the day, you're gonna die. <laughs> and that's the funny part about it, right? At the end of the day, you're gonna die. <laughs> yeah, nobody nobody gets out alive, you know. Yeah, that's it, right. At the end of the day, nobody wins. You all die. So. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we're not. None of us. Tagline, at the end of the day, nobody wins. We all die. We all die. None <laughs> of them are. Uh, the other thing is, uh, none of us are Egyptian. We ain't using the Egyptian model, so you can't take your wealth with you either. That's the other shit I never understand. Yeah. What is the point? of accumulating $50 billion, like, cool, you leave it to your kids, your grandkids maybe don't have to work, maybe their kids don't have to work. Awesome. But, like, you ain't taking it with you, man. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have any evidence that that's how you spend money in any kind of perceived afterlife or whatever. Well, like, in, in the great words of Notorious Big, more money, more problems. So, that's you also know. true. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Kind of interesting. Yeah, last thing I was going to ask you is just like, if you could go give advice to kind of like 25-year-old Nikita, uh, what do you think, uh, what are some things that you would probably try to say first? Wow, 25-year-old me. Yeah. Um, you're stronger than you think you are, for sure. Um. Yeah, and just like I said, at the end of the at, at the end of the day, none of this shit matters. You're gonna die, right? Because if I would have honestly told myself that, I probably would not have gotten laid off, you know, and felt like um, I dedicated my life to an organization and they laid me off. I wouldn't have missed, you know, my brother's wedding because I had to work over for a project. There's like, yeah, I would have laughed a lot more. Um, I would have just said, fuck it, <laughs> you know? And now at 40, that 20, 40, 60, at 40 years old, I'm at the age where I'm like, eh, fuck it. 